You're listening to The Top Floor, a podcast featuring critical conversations around property management, community associations, and real estate investing. I'm your host, Sean Forster, an industry trend researcher at Appfolio. Once a month, we embark on a narrative journey into the height of industry disruption. And with the help of thought leaders and changemakers, we bring you the insider knowledge that's fueling our industry's future. Now let's turn it over to Megan, who will take us through today's episode. Welcome to the second half of our two-part series exploring U.S. cities and how renter migration patterns have changed. To recap, in just under two years, a handful of lifestyle and economic shifts created a newfound sense of urgency among renters. But even before the pandemic, certain metros saw a rise in populations, leading to a surge in rent costs that pushed many renters out to less expensive cities where the cost of living was lower. On top of that, when remote work became the new normal for some types of jobs during the pandemic, an influx of renters in expensive cities like New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco started seeking out more affordable areas, such as the Sunbelt states. Which brings us to part two. Today on the top floor, we'll discuss some of these Sunbelt cities, including Dallas-Fort Worth, Miami, and Atlanta to discover trends influencing renters' new living situations and what property managers can do to respond to evolving renter preferences and become more competitive. And just as we did in part one, we'll use Outfolio's recent survey of renters in five major metros and nationwide to get a better sense of how their expectations and needs have changed. Real estate in the Sunbelt continues to shine Hotspots in metropolitan areas like Dallas-Fort Worth, Atlanta, Miami, and many other pockets of Florida have grown exponentially in terms of population. And the trend towards renters moving into these secondary cities was apparent even before the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when more Americans started to migrate outside of big cities in search of more space and more affordable rents. More than 144 million people live in the Sun Belt alone, Roofstock reported, with Texas, Florida, and California home to some of the largest populations. It's a huge surge compared to a little over 50 years ago, when less than half of the U.S. population lived in the Sun Belt. Now, cities like Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Miami, and Phoenix make up nearly 62% of the country's population, data from the Brookings Institution suggests. Here to kick off the conversation with trends in these migration patterns is J.C. Castillo, president and CEO of Velo Residential, a property management company operating in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. J.C., a West Coast native, discusses the ongoing influx of residents moving to Texas, many of whom are coming from California. I am a California kid. And about 15 years ago, I started investing in Texas and I really focused all of my efforts in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, If we go back in time to the mid 2000s, if we sort of look into what were the trends that were happening then, uh, what we really saw was we saw the very beginnings of 
the migration of Fortune 500 companies starting to relocate to Texas. I think a lot of people are much more aware of that now as you had you know, places uh, like Tesla and some other big uh, name companies moving there and relocating headquarters. But to be honest with you, if you look back in time, that's been happening over the last 15, 20 years. What you've seen happen over the last 15 to 20 years is you've seen huge in-migration of not only the Fortune 500 companies, but all of the supporting businesses that go along with those mass companies moving into the state of Texas. And now if you look historically, you know, your four majors, right, you're going to have San Antonio, Austin, Dallas-Fort Worth, and Houston. Really, you know, Houston traditionally has had all of the energy big ticket companies that are there and located there. And But Dallas-Fort Worth, to their credit, has really diversified away from the the energy sector. And I think last I checked, the energy sector was representative of less than 5% of the economy in Dallas-Fort Worth. So what you really have in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and the reason that I like it so much is you've got a very economically diversified system of, you know, you've got industries like, you know, oil, energy, obviously airlines, you've got services, you've got hotels, you've got technology, you've got hospitals and and all kinds of other things like that. So you've got a very diverse economy and a ton of jobs in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. Financially speaking, the Dallas-Fort Worth housing market gives many renters more bang for their buck, especially compared to coastal cities like San Francisco. Here's why. The other thing that's really incredible about the Dallas-Fort Worth market is when you look at the affordability compared to the amount of money that people are making um, in the metro, it's quite attractive. So, you know, if you think about it, if you have a young kid that's coming out of college and he's got a a nice degree and he's looking out over the United States and going, you know, where am I going to go live? You know, he can come to the Silicon Valley, sure, but he's going to be paying a million dollars to live in a shoebox. When people are looking out in the Texas metro and specifically in DFW, there's so much amount of land and so much amount of more construction of homes that people can, even now with the market being so hot, people can find a very decent place to live for three hundred dollars to $400,000 with a, a really great neighborhood and great school system. So you've got lots of jobs with the big companies coming. You've got, you know, very much more of an affordable market. And so you're going to see and continue to see, in my opinion, uh, just a huge influx of people migrating from the coastal markets. But you're also having a lot of natural creation of population just within the metro itself. There's population growth happening in and of itself. To me, you know, for the next 10 to 20 years, I think Dallas-Fort Worth is absolutely positioned to continue, you know, the phenomenal growth that we've seen. And, uh, you know, I don't see much of anything stopping it because the word is out. And I think DFW is definitely no secret anymore. The influx of population to places like Dallas-Fort Worth and other Southeast cities like Atlanta and Miami are sometimes also a result of remote work flexibility and businesses moving their offices away from coastal markets. Abby Ratliff, a broker at Seven Hills Rental, talks us through the Atlanta market and how the population changed during and since the COVID-19 pandemic. We have seen a good many people start to move into our area and also the suburbs around the Rome area. So we've actually expanded our area of focus to the Northwest Georgia corridor, you know, all around Northwest Georgia because 
of people coming in, but also needing that access to get to Interstate 75, which takes you straight to Atlanta. So we've expanded into three different counties since COVID has hit that um, actually I-75 goes right through those counties. And we've seen a big increase in rental properties in those areas, but still you have that um, suburb feel, but you're actually very close to Atlanta. Just under half of Atlanta renters are likely to renew their current lease, according to Appfolio data, suggesting that the majority of those surveyed are open to new leases. In fact, nearly twice as many Atlanta renters surveyed said they're actively searching for a new home. Answering the question, where would you like your next home to be located? Nearly 40% of respondents said a home in a different neighborhood within the same city followed by roughly 25% of respondents who said in a different city within the same state, which supports the observation that many Atlanta renters are searching for a new home because they may be getting priced out of the bustling city. With the COVID-19 pandemic came the eviction moratorium, and when that happened, there was absolutely zero housing available for incoming people to come into the towns and the cities and there was no housing available. So I think a lot of it had to do with COVID, but it may have been starting a little beforehand, but I do think most of it was after COVID hit. Which brings us to the larger Atlanta metro area, including Rome, Georgia, where housing costs are significantly less than Atlanta, even though several factors are now beginning to drive them up, Abby said. Our rent prices are very, very low compared to Atlanta, and that's probably another reason why people are starting to come to the Rome area because our prices are substantially lower. But also, we have seen an increase in price within the last year due to um, landlords' taxes and insurances rising. So we have seen that increase, but we're still nowhere near the Atlanta market. And especially here in the Rome area, we have many different plants and factories beginning to be built and have just recently been built and the jobs are coming in. And then so that means people are coming in. They're coming in from all over for these jobs. And there's not enough housing in our area that can, you know, withhold the people coming in. So we're seeing an increase in homes being built, apartment complexes being built in our area. As we've previously explored, soaring costs can also motivate renters to reevaluate what's important to them and to ask if they're getting the greatest value for their money. Couple that with a pandemic, and we can see why many renters have been moving to the outlying suburbs. COVID helped a lot with people moving to the suburbs because when you're quarantined and cooped up, if you live in a big city and live in an apartment, you don't have a whole lot of places to go. But if you live somewhere in the suburbs like Rome, where a good bit of the properties have land with them, or at least an acre, the kids are able to roam free in the yard. You've got room to, you know, not just be cooped up. So I think that has a lot to do. And also with, with COVID, a lot of us learned that, you know, family time is more important. And why not have a place that you enjoy and it's not always stressful like a city can be sometimes. So why not come to the suburbs and get that country feel, but also have the room to expand and grow and not just be cooped up all the time. Of course, the cost of living is not the only factor pushing renters out of some cities. Here's Jordan Brooks, a senior market analyst at ALN Apartment Data. And then also just the business environment more broadly. 
whether that's taxes, personal income taxes, leading people that earn a good living to want to want to leave, or the business environment, like you know Tesla, for example, right, relocating from California to Texas and bringing a bunch of jobs. When you see companies making those moves, or you know, I think in the headlines recently there was investment bankers in New York are are trying to get their employers to let them move to Miami and Florida, and the, they're not even hiring external applicants in Florida right now because they they have so many internal transfer requests from from the northeast so that that always plays a part for sure and you know those are things that can change with time you know that can fluctuate but yeah that's definitely playing a part particularly and again you've got uh sort of population hubs in the mountain west that are benefiting from people leaving the west coast and you've got the northeast coming down into the lower atlantic and florida so that's that's always a piece of the puzzle The challenges of renting in large West Coast markets like Los Angeles and San Francisco have motivated many renters there to explore more accessible markets. Some employees and companies even began moving to states with more affordable housing options and no state income tax, such as Florida and Texas. Max Sharkensky, a managing partner at Tryon Properties, which has offices in California and Florida, explains this migration, and in particular, what's happening in Miami. The other part of it, uh, other than diversifying out of the West Coast and diversifying away from that political risk, is going to the growth. We projected a lot of growth happening in the Southeast. Um, It's already been happening. If you look at it pre-COVID, there's been a tremendous amount of population growth happening in Florida and the Carolinas and Atlanta. And we felt that that would continue to happen. And I think so far we've hit the nail on the head. Just look at the fundamentals. You've got phenomenal jobs. It's much lower cost of living. Taxes are significantly lower than the Northeast. Well, it's definitely New York. Taxes are zero to 5% as opposed to 10% plus. And you've got great schools. It's a very high quality of life, great weather. So it checks a lot of boxes. But is the surge in population in Miami and throughout the Southeast actually a result of people migrating specifically from expensive cities like Los Angeles? Here's Mark Frankiel, a senior industry writer at Appfolio, speaking with Max. Do you think that the surge in Miami and the Southeast is from residents from cities like LA, like, you know, these expensive coastal cities primarily, or is it, you know, just a mix? Do you have any insight there? In the Southeast, you have a lot of people coming from the Northeast and from Chicago. So a lot of upper Midwest, a lot of Northeast. The migration outside of California is primarily landing in Phoenix, Austin, Dallas, which makes sense, right? It's a little closer to home. A and B, it's a lot of tech. So California, you get a a lot of people leaving who are in tech and have that background in education and they wind up in Austin, which makes a ton of sense. Phoenix also has a burgeoning tech community. So that's what we're finding. A number of tech companies have left the bubble of Silicon Valley, opening up satellite offices and even new company headquarters in places like Miami, in pursuit of more affordable rents for office space, better work-life balance for employees, and more affordable tax purposes. I've been reading recently that, you know, the mayor of Miami is trying to turn the city into like the next tech hub. Is that actually happening or is that kind of just media hype? It's really been leading with the VCs. So you've got Founders Fund and Keith Raboy. A lot of big name VCs are here. 
So the capital's here. Tech is growing. There are some startups here and late stage companies. So you are seeing that happening. Uh, Suarez has just been doing an unbelievable job getting the name out and he's just very pro-growth. I mean, just the environment here is much more pro-growth and much more business friendly. So I think you are going to see a lot more tech in Miami. Very cool. Uh, in terms of building new housing, uh, is there a difference between the, the legal or regulatory landscape in LA compared to Miami? Is it easier to build in, in one city versus the other? Well, it's really easier to build anywhere outside of LA other, other than maybe San Francisco. I'm not an active developer here, but from what I hear through other people in the real estate community, it's a lot easier here. You've got a zoning code that's pretty standard. It's called Miami 21. They tell you what you can build at any given site. Um, from what I understand, if you go for a variance and try to get changes, that can lengthen the process quite a bit. But if you're not doing that and it's buy right, then you create your plan, you submit it, there, you can't have communities, you can't have the local neighborhood get in your way like you can in LA and they could tie you up for years. So yeah, it's much easier here. We spoke earlier about populations seeing a surge in secondary cities down south and throughout the southeast. Appfolio's survey found that renters were happier in cities like Dallas, particularly with their property managers and landlords. 85% of Dallas renters surveyed said they're satisfied with their landlord or property manager compared with only 72% of renters nationally. And it's a stark comparison when you look at California. 28% of LA renters surveyed, for example, said they were less likely to renew their current rental compared to 40% of the national average. Here's Max again with where some of the difficulties come into play with property management. In California, you've got a fragmented market, right? So you've got a lot of 20 to 80 unit buildings that are mom and pop operated, where in the Southeast, and Miami is an example, it's mostly institutional ownership. You've got mostly 200 plus unit properties that are institutionally managed and professionally managed. So you're gonna have much higher customer satisfaction. I mean, think about San Francisco, right? You've got all those little Victorian 20 to 80 unit properties with bay windows. For the most part, they're not professionally managed other than maybe Veritas, who, you know, they're like an institutional owner of a lot of small properties, um, but everything else is mom and pop. So you don't have the tech, you don't have the infrastructure, you don't have the customer service, and people aren't going to be very happy unless they're living in a five-year-old class A high-rise where you're paying uh, 5,000 bucks a month for a studio apartment. With greater populations in growing cities like Atlanta and its neighboring metros like Rome, developers will have to start catering to remote working residents. But how do property managers market to this new demographic of people moving in? Here's Abby again with Insight. And a lot of this has to do with COVID is they want to know as much about the property before they come in our office. They don't want to come in our office and sit down and chit chat about this property and that property. We have it on our website. Any information they need, they can find on our website. So they know pretty much everything about the property before they even come to check out the keys. And I think that is what we've tried to target here lately, especially since COVID began, is that we've got to let them know through our Facebook page, through our um, website, that anything about the property, and then once they view it, that's when they can fill out the application. But they, they pretty much know everything about it before they even get the key. And especially with the out-of-town tenants, 
that helps them a lot because they're not here to really see anything. So it does help those people. The stakes are higher than ever when it comes to streamlining digital platforms for renters and their property managers to connect in real time, especially since more renters are working from home and spending more time in their living spaces. Stacy Holden, Senior Director and Industry Principal at Appfolio, joins the conversation with tips on how property managers and landlords can actively improve on communication with residents and act fast in a remote capacity. One way that property managers can take action to improve in these areas is to consolidate all communications onto a central hub. From there, residents can communicate with property management teams using any medium they choose. Like, for example, the actual voice or the easier one sometimes, text message, email, or the tenant portal. Another example is around maintenance. The majority of respondents who listed maintenance as an area of dissatisfaction cited extremely slow response times. Property management software that leverages artificial intelligence can respond to residents instantly, for example, with smart maintenance. This can happen at any hour and automatically dispatch work orders to the right technician or vendor around flexibility, if you're willing to accommodate flexible leases, incorporating online payment options is a straightforward way to keep track of these non-traditional leases. And with a slew of new developments to accommodate more residents in growing metros and cities, there's more competition than ever for property management companies to bring their A-game to relationships with new and current residents. JC shares his firsthand experience with this. At the end of the day, it's not just about a great experience. When you give a great experience to a resident, what you're doing is you're actually making your business more profitable because a a better experience means a more profitable business. And so because it's so ultra competitive in that market to be an owner in, it's almost like a rising tide floats all boats because you have to be on your A game just to be able to actually compete. Because think about it, if you have terrible service, or if you don't fix your property up and you don't do the unit upgrades, these residents can walk down the street a block and they can find your competitor who's doing everything that you're not doing and they're gonna leave your property and go to that property. Now just imagine that's happening everywhere in Dallas. I think that's the beautiful thing about you know, an open market, right? Is that you force, you're forced as an owner to compete. And the only way for you to win the residents' dollars is to have the best value. And and really, that's the name of the game in any business, isn't it? So what strategies can you adopt to succeed amid ongoing competition in these primary and secondary metros and cities? These things apply to many different metros. But I mean, the first thing you've you've got to do is you've really got to focus on partnering with vendors and, and software systems that can give you a modern uh, resident experience. If your resident is having to fill out an application by hand, if your resident is having to pay by check, like physically walk a check into the unit, into the leasing office or the uh, community office, if your resident can't actually just take their iPhone and take a picture of that broken toilet bowl and text it to a maintenance call center and, and not have to actually even log into a portal or not have to walk into the office and hand write a work order, If you're doing those sorts of things, 
then you are going to have a modern user experience for the residents and they are going to be more sticky at your property. They're going to stay longer and they're going to be willing to pay, uh, you know, a better premium to live at your property. So that's number one. Uh, number two is you really got to have an on-site staff that's motivated and that's happy. And that's easier said than done. But the way that you do that is you look to virtualize a lot of the back office work that is traditionally done at the on-site level. So things like creating a work order or things like entering an invoice. An office manager is busy with a million things. And if you've got your office manager entering invoices, first of all, they're not bookkeepers, so they, they don't know how to code things properly. Leasing teams are getting tons of inquiries about vacancies every day. So how do you keep up with it all, especially if you're one of the many property management companies dealing with staffing issues? JC says his company has leveraged Appfolio offerings, like Lisa the AI Leasing Assistant, to handle calls and to collect data on prospective renters. A couple of big ones is number one is imagine two-thirds of all of the people that are calling into each owner's property the prospects to rent are never actually going to lease or be serious about leasing that unit. So imagine if the manager's getting 100 phone calls a month, two-thirds of those calls are a wasted time. So with the AI bot, you've eliminated all these incoming inbound phone calls. And also, if your manager is home in the evening because they don't work 24-7, this prospect has to wait until the next day to get back to them. But the AI bot is instantaneously getting back to them when the lead is hot. So that's, that's a big thing. The second thing is that the data that we can collect from the guest card traffic, because we have an AI bot, it records wherever that source is coming from. So if it's coming from the website, we know it. If it's coming from a drive-by sign, we know it. If it's coming from apartments.com, we know it because Lisa is recording. A quick note before we continue. Here, the Lisa JC refers to is at Folio's AI leasing assistant. Okay, back to JC this AI is recording the source for every lead. That's huge because that gives us the data to know where our marketing dollars are best spent and where we need to focus our time. So an AI is a huge one. And once residents sign leases or renew existing ones, the last thing you want to do is make them jump through unnecessary hoops to get work orders done, or even to pay their monthly fees without a hassle. Having a combination of easy-to-use technology that communicates issues coupled with in-person FaceTime to check in, is a happy medium that can take a property management company from good to great. If you want to be successful as an owner, you have got to eliminate all of that back office work from your on-site staff's plate and let them do what they love best, which is interacting with your customers and, and, and making your customers happy. So, you know, if you do those two things, you focus on the user experience for the residents and you focus on the on-site staff and eliminating the back office work and virtualizing it, you are going to make more money as an owner. That is for sure. The future continues to look bright for cities and outer suburbs, seeing an influx of residents in the Sunbelt states, especially markets like Dallas-Fort Worth, Atlanta, and Miami. As renters have moved from coastal states, and out of expensive cities up north like New York and Boston in search of greater rental deals and a more affordable cost of living. And some of these cities, like Abby mentioned in the case of Atlanta, have grown so much that some renters are now beginning to move away from urban hubs to more suburban regions nearby. Some renter migrations follow patterns, 
as JC walked us through. And many Californians have relocated to Austin, Dallas-Fort Worth, or Houston, where industries like oil, energy, and aviation bring ample economic opportunity and development. And with that comes the need for more rentals. Jordan discussed a similar boom in business in Miami, particularly among venture capitalists and the tech sector, with companies relocating during the pandemic and staying for good. With changes in these secondary cities comes the need to adapt in the real estate rental market, whether it's in terms of modernizing maintenance requests, implementing new technology to optimize responsiveness, or being able to conduct virtual showings. Special thanks to our guests, Jordan Brooks, Senior Market Analyst at ALN Apartment Data, JC Castillo, President and CEO of Velo Residential, Max Sharkansky, a Managing Partner at Los Angeles-based Tryon Properties, Abby Ratliff, a broker at Seven Hills Rentals, Inc., and Stacey Holden, Senior Director and Industry Principal at Upfolio. And before we go, don't forget to grab your copy of the report we've been referencing throughout today's episode. It's called How U.S. Renters Perceive Their Property Managers, a guide for growth-minded property managers and owners to reimagine the scope of their services. We surveyed hundreds of renters across the U.S. to learn more about their changing preferences, and the report includes more background on the data we discussed today and even more interesting takeaways that didn't make it into today's episode. You can download it for free on our Industry Insights page, and we'll include a link in our show notes as well. Thanks for listening to The Top Floor. For more property management insights, visit us at appfolio.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Top Floor on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. We'll see you next time.